Good morning all. Uh, if you remember last week I asked you, or there was a, the last slide on the screen was, was what? That's not it. <laughs> it. It was, it was a goal for the week. What was the goal? Did you kick any goals? Eh? Did you kick any goals this week? Uh, we're, think, we're thinking about what the Apostle said, what, what, what one of our aims should be. One of our aims should be to, to please the Lord. And I asked you to see if you can kick a goal this week. I wonder, I wonder what you thought about that. I wonder if you thought, wow, you know, it's been a busy week, Raph. I really haven't had an opportunity this week. Or oh, completely forgot all about it. Or you just couldn't think of what it would be that I could do. This week, that would please the Lord. Now, I haven't got time. There's, there's about 60 verses in the Bible that talks about, directly talks about what it is that pleases, is pleasing, or the Lord is pleased with in the Bible. I haven't got time today to even look at them, mention them. But this morning, and I thought I wouldn't, I wouldn't bother mentioning it, any of them, but this morning we read one. We actually read one this morning. I don't know if you picked it up. Psalm 19, verse 14. Sometimes we think, what is it? What great thing, what notable thing, what important thing, what, what, what thing could I do that would please the Lord? And sometimes that becomes a barrier, doesn't it? You think, oh, I'm no good at anything. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Brothers and sisters, that's how easy it is, how simple it is to please the almighty God, the creator of the universe, the stars and all those things, right? Just the things that we say. And the thoughts that we have, let's make sure that they please the Lord. Simple as that. All right. We've had a little technical glitch today, haven't we, Josh? It was lovely reading, uh, Brian, but we're actually going on in Chapter 5. Somehow somehow the message was uh, was mixed up. But that's Okay. Not a problem. Not a problem. Oh, yeah, we'll just keep just keep ploughing on. It was beautiful reading, and Peter Keep will really appreciate that next week. Right? So, if you want to hear about what what John, what uh, Brian read about, come back next week. Peter Keep is speaking about that. But we're continuing in chapter five this week. Remember, we we said that uh, we'd be doing it in two two bites, two bites. So. This week we're going to look at from verse 11. Maybe if you've got your Bible there with you, I'll read some verses out of the chapter 5 as we go along. It says there, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we will try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but by giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. 
if it were, uh, if we were out of our mind, it is for the sake of God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died. For them and for them and was raised again. So from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do we do so no longer. Therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. So let's just uh, focus on those few verses at the moment and we'll read a bit more later. Oh, it's working really well. We had a, we had a bit of a, uh, a session this morning, didn't we? So last week I mentioned that chapter 5 talks about seven key issues in the Christian's life, a believer's life, a person who has who has given their, their life to God. And we looked at the first five, didn't we? It was transformation, the guarantee, which Sam mentioned, living by faith, living to please him, which was you know, our aim, our goal, should be that. And, uh, and, and the last one we looked at was the beam of seat of Christ. Now I've had a little bit of feedback about that. Let me just take one minute <laughs> to, to reaffirm. Re- I did mention it. I'm sure I mentioned it. Reaffirm. This is not about the Christian coming before God at the great white throne. There is no judgment for sin or anything like that for the Christian. As I mentioned, the judgment seat of Christ is where the believer gives an account of how he has lived as a Christian in the world, how he has served God, how he has honoured God, and things like that. And the reason for that is so we can get a reward, not punishment. Is that clear? Good. We'll move on. So this, this morning we're going to look at the last two, the Ministry of Reconciliation and Ambassadors. Now, verse 11 starts off similar to verse 1 where it said in verse 1, now we know that uh, if, you know, and, and so he's assuming that we know some things. And so in, in verse 11 he says, since then we know these things. He says, he says uh, you know, that we seek to persuade men. Now verse 11 is, is written as since we know that since we know what it is to fear the Lord. Now that little phrase, fear the Lord, it, it really trips a lot of people up, doesn't it? What does it mean to fear? Does it mean that you're scared of God? Well, maybe, maybe it does. But in this instance, it's not talking to a person who's under the judgment of God. It's talking about a believer who has a relationship with God. What does it mean? Well, I, I don't often... Uh, use other translations from the platform, but in this case I will. In the New Living Translation, verse 11 is, 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 is translated because we understand, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. I, I thought that was really good, a very good rendering of what uh, is, is Paul is trying to say. Because we understand... Uh, we, we, we have a responsibility before our, our God. We do these things. What is it that we do? We persuade, we persuade men. 
we persuade men. Paul, Paul is actually saying here, because of all these things that we've looked at last week, and like I said, he, he just gives a really brief summary because he's assuming that he know, we know all this. A Christian ought to know these things. So he says, we persuade men. Now that's an interesting word, persuade. It means, the Greek word means to continue to prevail upon, to win over, to win over people. Doesn't mean Bible bashing people. Doesn't mean that we force people. We don't force our beliefs on people. We don't shame people into, well, look at the way that you are living. That's not what Paul is saying here. We don't use deception. We don't use theatrics. We don't, we don't tell half truths. We don't just tell people, oh, if you become a Christian, life is a dream. Easy street. We don't do that. That's not right either, is it? That's not what the Lord said. And we don't, we don't tell them that, uh, you know, if you become a Christian, God will bless you so much, you, your bank balance will just, whew, overflowing. The prosperity gospel, that's not doing us any favours, is it? Because God, God is saying, we, we need to win people over by intelligent reasoning from the scriptures. It's not that hard to explain. It really isn't why a person needs to have a relationship with God. And we need to equip ourselves as, as believers. We need to equip ourselves to be able to do that. We need to know what the scriptures say. If somebody comes and asks you a question about your, your faith, you ought to know about it. That's what Paul is trying to get across here. We can't persuade anybody anything if we don't know about it, anything about it ourselves. And going to our equipping, I would encourage you to come along in November 13th, isn't it? November 13th. That's, that's a part. It's give you a few tips on how to share your faith. Because sometimes we, we, we create these, these barriers, don't we? We think, oh, I don't know much about Christianity to tell anyone anything about it. Well, that's nonsense. If you're a Christian, you know enough to be able to share what God's done for you. Now we get down to verses 12 and 13 that we looked at and, and Paul says, uh, you know, people think, people think that we're out of our mind doing what we're doing, trying to share this, this faith. In fact, you know, a number of times uh, Paul, Paul has been accused of being out of his mind. He, he, he stood before a king, King Agrippa, and, 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 and Paul tried to persuade him. Try to tell him about Jesus Christ, about redemption, about the forgiveness of sins. And, and given his due, King Agrippa, he, he listened, he did listen to Paul. And then he said, uh, mate, you're out of your mind. Now, I don't know about you, I've tried to share my faith with my friends many a times. And I, Raph, you're crazy. You're crazy to think of that. But you know what? Being a little bit crazy for Christ is a good thing. You're in good company. 
Because that's what they thought about the Lord. When he was here, when Jesus Christ was here and he tried to tell us about God, in Mark 3, 21, it says, he's lost all his senses. Now, you know about the Lord, don't you? We've learned enough about the Lord to, to realise that the things that he spoke about are just so deep with wisdom and insight and they're so helpful in our lives. And yet in, in, uh, in, in John chapter 10, they said about him that he was demon-possessed. He, he was crazy. So if you're a little bit crazy as a Christian, you're in good company, aren't you? It doesn't mean that we're, we're, we're silly and, and, and all the rest of it. It means to be a little bit out of your mind as a Christian, it means that you're out of step. You're out of step with, with, with our, our culture because we walk differently, don't we? We don't walk like the world. Our walk is different. The way in which we live is different. And when, and when something confronts us that's a bit different, we're a bit fearful, aren't we? We don't like it. And one of the defence mechanisms is to think, oh yeah, they're a bit strange. We're a little bit strange because we don't think like everybody else. We don't. Because we have the mind of Christ. We think differently. So we're a little bit strange. And our value system is different, isn't it? The things that motivate us, the things, the, the things that we think are important are not the same things that the world thinks are important. Because while the world is saying, you know, your investment portfolio needs to grow and your bank balance needs to grow and you ask, you need to increase your assets, the Christian is storing up treasure in heaven. So we are strange. We are. We're a little bit crazy. But that's okay. It's a good thing. And verse 14. Verse 14. It says there, for Christ's love compels us, compels us. The, the little heading this morning on this morning's sermon is, what is your motivation? What was Paul's motivation? The love of Christ motivated him to do whatever he did, all that he did. What was it that, that motivated Jesus Christ? His love for God motivated Jesus Christ that's why he came to die on the cross yeah for my sin and your sin absolutely but it was God's desire for that to happen compels a very interesting word compel that means to force or to drive now, I just said before, we, you know, you shouldn't be, a Christian shouldn't force their beliefs on people. It's not, it's not in that reference. It's more like a, a driving force, a thing that motivates you. It powers you. The, the love of Christ compels us. It, it makes it necessary for me to persuade men to believe in God. It makes, I'm obligated, I'm obligated. The love of Christ that he has for me obligates me to go out 
and to tell others, even if they think I'm a little strange in doing that. That's what motivated Paul. And, and this is the message. He gives a little, a little brief, a super brief summary because he's talked about this over and over again in 1 Corinthians already. He gives a very quick summary of this love of Christ. What did he say? He, he said that, that Christ came and he died, he died for all, all people. Not just the Jew, not just the nice people, all people. Everyone. So there is no barrier. And, and, and then Paul says that, that because he died for all, that, that we no longer have to live in sin. The old wrath, the old nature, the old person that you struggle with every day lives no longer. We don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live like the world tells us we have to live. We don't have to kowtow to social norms because they're not norms. They're just telling you how you ought to live, their way. And how should we live? Not for ourselves anymore, but for him, for Jesus Christ. And it's in Christ that gives us the power to do that. And, and then it's, and then Paul reminds them that, that what happens when you trust Jesus to be your savior, when you ask him to forgive you your sins, what happens? There's this great transformation. It's the start of a new life. And that's what that baptism, uh, ceremony symbolizes. That those people have accepted Jesus Christ as their saviour. And they, they want to live a new life for him. And Paul talked about that to these people already in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he says there that the old has gone. What is that? What does he mean by that? He means that, that your old life, the penalty for the way that you've lived, is gone. You've been justified by, before God. You have got nothing to answer for as far as God is concerned. And he talked about that in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. So these people knew about it. So it's a very brief, you know, not even a thumbnail sketch, even less than that is what he was just reminding them because we should know these things. And then he says, and guess what? Remember, don't forget, all of this comes from God. All of it. All this is from God. How could you not have the love of Christ? How could you not be compelled, be obligated as a Christian to share your faith with somebody? That's what compels me. And you, and you can sense that in Paul, can't you? In the Apostle Paul. He, I said last week, he was just busting to tell people about his Saviour. Because he had a great message and, and, and Brian read from the Good News Bible. The Bible is good news. It's a great message. A message of hope, a message of forgiveness, and a message of reconciliation, which we'll have a look at in a minute. 
And this love forces us, it compels us, or at least it should, brothers and sisters, to do what pleases him. Because if we share our faith, if we tell people the message of reconciliation, that pleases God. And we are, and we do this, it says in verse 20, which we'll read in a minute, on his behalf. I love that. To be reconciled. Let's read the rest of the chapter now. From verse 18, it says this, All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them anymore. The anymore, I just added that, okay? Because that's really important. I love, I, I, that's what it means. And he has committed, he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Brothers and sisters, I've got you know, 21 minutes to impress upon you this pivotal point of, of the gospel. Something that we tend to forget. So the first question I want to ask you this morning is, what is ministry? What is ministry? What, 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 when we say, oh, I'm in, I'm in the children's ministry, oh, I'm in the music ministry, what is ministry? We use it all the time. What, is it, what, is, what does it mean? The, the meaning of the word, word uh, ministry, you know, is, is this, something or someone that serves that serves as an agency, an instrument or a means by which stuff happens. Okay. So a minister, a minister, and that's not a person with a funny collar, all right? A minister is a person acting as an agent or an instrument to do something. So if you're in ministry... You're serving. God is working through you in that area of ministry. We heard this yesterday morning uh, about the prison ministry where people are, are, are serving God in prisons to prisoners and their families. That's what it means to be in ministry. So that's ministry. What about this word? Reconciliation. Oh, that's to do with Aborigines, isn't it, Raph? I don't, I, I'm, I'm not being funny there. Because that's what we tend to think. I, I, I tried to get some slides you know, for reconciliation, so I typed in reconciliation. And I had to wade through. I had to wade through all the things about the reconciliation with the Aboriginal people, the first first peoples here in Australia. Did you realise that it was Reconciliation Week earlier in the year? Yeah. 
That's what kept coming up. But that's not what the Bible's talking about here. Reconciliation is an interesting word, really is. The definition to reconcile is to win, to win over to friendliness again. To cause to become amicable, to bring into agreement or harmony, to settle a quarrel or a difference. Brothers and sisters, reconciliation is the act or the working of reconciling. So, if you look at that word, it means that there was a relationship that was broken. There's a quarrel, a dispute. And reconciliation is fixing that, isn't it? Trying to settle that. The ministry of reconciliation that's talking about here, that, that Paul says has been committed to us, is it refers to the work a believer has been given. Did you, did you pick that up? God has given us. The ministry of reconciliation. And we're compelled. We should be compelled to take that out. And it's a, it's a great message to, to, to convey to people. It, we're to tell people that the relationship between themselves and God has been restored through Jesus Christ. That broken relationship has been, has been mended. And brothers and sisters, you know that it involves, it involves the proclamation of the gospel, which means the forgiveness of sins, the atonement for sins. It means harmony restored. It means peace given. It means blame taken away. Let me read you two, two passages from God's word that, that Paul has already you know, written uh, to believers in the past. The first one's in chapter 5 of Romans, verse 10. And it says there, have a listen to these words. This is, this is what, when God talks about reconciliation, this is what he's, he's, he's trying to get across to us. He says, for if when we were God's enemies... We were reconciled to him through the death of his son. If you're not a friend of somebody, if you have fallen out with somebody, if you've had a dispute, a quarrel, let's, let's, a fight with somebody, and you're no longer friends, what are you, Graham? Enemies. You're, I mean, that's, you hate them. You can't stand a sight of them. You're enemies. It says here, for while we were God's enemies, because if you're not a Christian, if you haven't asked God to be your saviour, if God hasn't forgiven you your sin, I'm not saying it. I'm not saying it. But God is saying it. You're not a friend. You're an enemy. And it was while you were an enemy that it says there that you were reconciled through the death of Jesus Christ. And it goes on to say there that not only, not only in this so, but also we rejoice in God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ, though whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, it's not something that, like with the Aboriginal situation and the land rights and all that, it's, it's not an ongoing thing. It is done. We have reconciliation with God already. And he goes on, uh, he says something similar with a little bit of added to it in, in Colossians chapter 1. If you've got your Bible there, turn to Colossians chapter 1, verse uh, verse 20. Listen to what it says here. Uh, For God was pleased to have all his, that's Jesus' fullness, uh, dwell in him, and through Jesus, through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, through his shed blood. So, so the reconciliation brings peace between you and God. That's one of the things it tries to do, and it does do that. Have you got peace with God this morning? I want to ask you that question. I don't know everybody here. Last week I knew everybody, but this week I, there's a few strange faces, unfamiliar faces here. <laughs> that was quick. That was good. <laughs> All right. So my question is, do you have peace with God? Because you can have it. You, absolutely. It says that so here. And in verse 21 it says, Once you were alienated from God yeah, and were enemies, right? In your minds because of your evil behaviour. So now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I love that. Because God says if you've been reconciled with God, he says if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you believe the reason Jesus died on the cross was to have your sins forgiven, he, say, he says there that you be, you, you, you're blameless, free from accusation and no blemish. Whew, isn't that good? That's how God sees you once you've been reconciled with him. And you're no longer an enemy. What are you? You're a friend. A friend of God. And that's what Jesus talks about in, in, um, in John chapter 15. No longer servants. You're no longer called servants. You're no longer unbelievers. You're friends. And that's a beautiful relationship, isn't it? Why do we need reconciliation? Um, very, very quickly, because the, the relationship that God had with man, and we read about that, I mentioned it last week, in the Garden of Eden, was broken. That was what God had in mind. This communion, this this fellowship, this friendship. Yeah, you know, this you know, this is what God had in mind for for mankind, and it was broken by man, and so there was no longer friendship. We became enemies of God. We read about that. We were under the judgment of God, and in John chapter three. 36, it says, we stand condemned. It's not as if God is condemning us. We stand in that condition because we have done stuff that has broken that relationship. But when reconciliation was achieved at Calvary, in the person of Jesus Christ, we became friends in John fifteen fifteen, it says that, and and in Hebrews two eleven, it says we become brothers and sisters with Christ. That's the relationship that it talks about. So that's that's what reconciliation is. 
and verse 19, it says there, uh, and that, uh, and he, and he, that's God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. It's a stewardship. God has said, here is the message. Here is the good news. Here is the gospel. Call it whatever you would like. I'm entrusting it to you to share it, to make it known, Morris. It's been committed. And brothers and sisters, you and I know it is a life and death matter. It's urgent. And this is what Paul's trying to get across here to us. And so we're just not Christians. We're not just believers. It says there in verse 20, which is the seventh key issue that we were looking at or that we mentioned earlier, the last one in this chapter, we are ambassadors, ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? The definition of an ambassador is an authorised messenger or representative. I don't know if you know much about ambassadors. There's a couple of key points about ambassadors as general, not just, you know, Christ's ambassadors, but it's related. Okay, they are an official envoy, a high-ranking person, an accredited person from a government or a sovereign. So that's what an ambassador is. He, he, he is licensed to represent, basically. He's been accredited to represent. This person, the ambassador from wherever, is no longer living in his hometown, country, place. He is now a resident of wherever he's representing the sovereign or the government. So he's a resident representative. Are you getting a picture of the Christian here? Our citizenship isn't here, the Bible says. We belong in heaven with the Lord. But we are the ambassadors of Christ. We are resident here as his representatives. And what does an ambassador do? Well, it promotes the interests, the policies, uh, uh, all sorts of things of that nation, country, king. They, they, they look out for, for um, rep- uh, businesses. You know, if you have a business that you want to you want to promote in in say China, you want to you want to manufacture something in China, you go and see the ambassador. First point of call. That's the idea that God had when He said, "You are ambassadors." Brothers and sisters, we are the first point, point of call. We, we, we tend to be the first glimpses of Jesus Christ that people get. An ambassador, their behaviour is a paramount thing because their behaviour reflects the nation, the government or the sovereign that they represent. It's paramount. In fact, ambassadors have brought shame to their countries, governments and sovereigns. And they've had to be recalled in disgrace. 
Ambassadors are known for their tact, their courtesy, their, 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 their courteousness, and, and their persuasive powers, you know. They don't go barging in and shouting and stamping. Softly spoken, in your ear, trying to, you know, represent their, their, their country's interests. And that's the picture that we have here of Christ's ambassadors, the Christian. See, it's not an extra person. It's not, you don't, you don't say, oh, we'll have, we'll have, we, next week we're going to have an ambassador for Christ speaking. Well, you will. But so will the week after that and the week after, because we're all ambassadors, all of us. And here's, here's something that really weighs heavily on my shoulders all the time. It says in verse 20, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God was making his appeal through us. I don't know how you feel about that. That God is appealing to the unbeliever, to your family member, your friends, to your neighbours, your work colleagues, maybe your brother or your sister, maybe your spouse, through you, through you. Because they're not going to come in to listen to, to the preaching. They're probably not going to pick up the word of God and read it. You are the first port of call. In other places it says that, that the, the Christian is a living epistle, read of all men. It's our behaviour and the things that we say and the things that we do and the way we treat people reflects on God. You're an ambassador of Christ. And so the very end there... Of, the, of, of what I'd like to say this morning, at the end of chapter 20, he says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That should be your goal this week. It'll please God if you do that. If you can implore, implore means, means to beg, not badger, not connive, not tell them half-truths, but to beg them. Beg them to come to Christ. Why? You know why. You don't need to go to the theological college to tell people that. And God's not expecting that either. Just tell them. They can be friends again with God through Jesus Christ if only they accept Jesus as their own and personal... Confess their sin before. Acknowledge that they are, yes, enemies of God. They have, they have a broken relationship with God. But it can so easily be put right. You can so easily become friends with God again through the forgiveness of sins, which is in Jesus Christ. Make that your goal this week.